All right, we've been exploring the book of James, and James is a very practical book about living our faith. And as we, as we heard, as Clyde read for us um, from the Word, that really the first evidence that our faith is alive, in fact, perhaps the most important evidence that our faith is alive, is that it should result in a transformed tongue. Well, in fact, let's just back up for just a moment to the verse that leads into this so we set the context. Um, look in your Bibles to, to verse 26 out of chapter 2, and I'll be, um, I'll be reading this out of the English Standard Version, which it'll be up on your screens if you have a different translation. Um, but it's, it's a reminder. It says this, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Well, in the past few weeks, we've explored the difference between a, a dead theology and a living faith. And now James is saying, this is how it's to impact your life and my life and our relationships with one another. And the beginning point is with what we say. And it's very appropriate that James begins with calling those who are teachers, who are preachers, and giving them a reminder of the incredible responsibility that they are under. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. In essence, James is going back to what we heard in the very beginning where he compels us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. It's a reminder to all of us. But specifically, it is a reminder to those of us who teach God's word of how accountable we are. What we say matters. What we say about God matters the most. I have preached hundreds, perhaps thousands of sermons. I've never counted. Um, I've taught more classes than I can remember, which means one really important thing. Well, actually two. Number one, I talk too much. That's the first thing that that means. And number two is I have a whole lot to be accountable for. And that is really, really sobering. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. He, he, he gives instruction to the church and, and tells us to obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. But listen to how he says that we are to keep watch over, our soul, over the souls of those in our congregations as those who will have to give an account. When we teach God's word, what we say first and foremost must be accurate or it will lead people astray. Secondly, what we say must be loving or it will push people away. And thirdly, it must be understandable and usable so that it can have the effect God intends for it to do in producing transformation in the lives of people. Now, the reason why he's beginning here is because there is a direct connection between our heart and our conversation. What we say comes directly from the well or reservoir of our heart, and words are immeasurably powerful. There's something so common because we, we talk all the time, and we write emails, and, and you know, we, we will communicate in all kinds of ways. It's so common that we forget the incredible power that words have. 
want you to think for just a moment, just to set the perspective correctly. How did God create everything? What does the Scriptures tell us? Did He take His hands and form it? Well, He took His hands and formed Adam, but the universe was spoken into existence. Words have power. God's Word especially has immeasurable power. And we need to remember that because our words have power as well. In fact, the Scripture warns us that all of us, not just teachers, but all of us will have to give an account for every careless word that we speak. Listen to what Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 12, verses 34 through 37. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's that connection between our heart and our conversation. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now, that's one of those, this is one of the verses that I haven't memorized that I should because I need to remember it far more often than I do. If I did, chances are I would say a lot less than I do. And probably you would too. But I need to keep it in mind the next time that I want to fire off an email and it's, it's being pushed by emotion or reaction or I want to post something on Facebook or say something in conversation. Now, James, from that point, then brings it down to all of us. He begins with teachers, with those who are communicating God's word, but then he talks about all of us, and he says in verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, and by that he means mature in their faith, also able to bridle his whole body. Now, as you, as you listen to the reading of this chapter, you'll see that there's a theme that goes all the way through the chapter about what we say about our tongues. What he's saying is that our tongues set the course for our life. And, and if you'll stop and think about that for, for just a moment, I mean, he uses illustrations like um, the bridle on a horse and a bit in a horse's mouth that turns the direction it's going to go. He uses the example of a rudder on a ship and how it guides and directs it so that it can sail the direction it wants to go. But later on, he, he talks about it being a, a fire that sets the whole course of life on fire. Your life and my life has been shaped by words more than anything else in us. We look at our backgrounds, we think of the families that we're born into, the genetics that we have, the countries that we come from, the languages that we speak. All those things are components that make up who we are, but the words that we have listened to, processed, and put into our own heart and life determine the course of how we live. It's incredibly, incredibly important. And all of us make mistakes. We all stumble. We all say foolish things. We get offended, we become defensive, and, and we respond in anger. We judge far too often without knowing all the facts. We gossip without considering the feelings of others. 
We hold grudges and refuse to forgive. This reflects the sinful nature of who we are. But we don't have to keep doing that. When we give our conversation over to the control, to the direction of the Holy Spirit, when we look at what God's Word says and say, Lord, that's how I want to live, that's how I want to speak into the hearts and lives of others, He changes the course of our life. Now, if you really want to see the weight of it, there's a verse in Proverbs that is perhaps one of the most sobering verses in all the Scripture when it comes to understanding the power of what we say. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Here's what that means. Every time you and I open our mouth, one of two things is going to come out, life or death. That's, that's heavy, isn't it? I mean, it's incredible. That's what the Scripture is saying. When we speak, one of two things are going to come out. Either I'm going to build up and produce life that, that God can use my words and strengthen and encourage someone else, or my words are going to tear down and produce death. They're going to rob people of becoming the masterpiece God created and saved them to be. Man, almost makes you want to take a vow of silence, doesn't it? Um, a few years ago, our son Micah, uh, who was, was on staff with Youth of the Mission in Ireland, and part of their, their work that they did in Northern Ireland was focused on reconciliation. And so the base there did a lot of things in partnership with a, a local Benedictine monastery because of the, the history of the conflict between Catholics and Protestants. They were, they were seeking to really build a bridge. And one of the things that, that Micah told me he was so impressed about at this monastery was they had a vow of silence and, and such that they would only, when they were under that vow of silence, they would only have 10 minutes of conversation per day. Now I want you to think about it. If you had to think all day long about the things you wanted to say in 10 minutes and you couldn't say anything else to anyone the whole rest of the day, what would you say? How would it change the things that are your priorities? I mean, would you still be upset, you know, with, with Brother Andrew because he stole the last piece of bacon at breakfast? Chances are you're not going to bring that up or a whole lot of other things that would be, in retrospect, pretty small. You'd want to choose your words incredibly wisely, remembering that every time we speak, either life or death comes out. Now, if you, if you grew up in an English first home, you, you may know this saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never harm me. How many of you know that, that saying, okay? Does anybody on the planet believe it's true? I mean, that has got to be the worst proverb ever because it is so false. We all know how untrue that is, especially when we're young. The truth is, if you're like me, I have numerous scars on my body, mostly from stupid things that I've done. Motorcycle wrecks, sporting accidents, stabbing my hand with a knife because I was, my, I'll tell a bad story of myself. My brother, who was much older than me, got this amazing filleting knife um, for his birthday one year, and I was just a little kid. 
And like all boys, you know, anything that's a weapon, I mean, there's, you have to hold it. I mean, it just kind of like, it's just like nature. It's built into us. And so I go into, it was actually, he was staying with, um, uh, with us in my sister's room because he had already moved out. And, and so I go in there, and there it is laying on the dresser. And, and so I, I get the knife, and I, and I pull it out, and I look at it and go, man, that is really, really cool. And, and I put it back in the sheath just like that. And I went to put it back down, and I put it down on, um, we had one of those cloths on the top of the dresser that was popular back then. And as soon as I put it down, I realized there's a red spot on that cloth. In fact, it's a really growing red spot. And, and so I lifted my hand up to look at the spot, and I realized I had put the knife, I had missed the sheath completely, and I put it all the way through my hand and never even felt it. It was so sharp. It came out the other side, and I didn't even know it was there until I saw the blood. So what I, you know, what I think I was seven or eight or something. And so I run and I get my sister and I, you know, cause I had first tried to put a bandaid on it and it kept flowing away. And, you know, I, I washed it off, you know, and I, I'm not, a, I, I've never had a problem with blood, which is why I was an EMT and that kind of stuff. But, um, I couldn't get anything to stick cause it, I'd cut, a, cut the artery in there. And so I finally go and get my sister and I say, I can't make it stop bleeding. And what does she do? She faints. So like, well, you're so much help. Anyhow, I have no idea why I chased that, that one, but I have scars in my body all over from dumb things that I've done. So do you. But chances are the deepest scars that you and I have are not from a physical injury. They are from words. Words that were spoken when you were a child. Words that were spoken by your peers at school words that were spoken to you or about you that you've heard that have shaped your understanding of who you are. Those scars last in incredibly powerful ways. Words hurt, ridicule, disdain, humiliation, taunting. They all cause injury, and they can determine the course of our life. Now, there's something, there are many things that set us apart from God's creation in the animals, but one of them that sets us apart is the way our brain develops is differently than from most animals. Most animals, for instance, when they're born, they can walk, right? Takes us nine months to a year to be able to walk. It's partly not just the muscular development, but it's part of the brain development. And much of who we are is formed by what is said to us in early childhood. It develops after birth to a large degree. And so our understanding of our identity develops over time. Our personality, our abilities, our skills often take decades to develop. And they're, they're developed differently in each person, but much of it is shaped by the words that we hear. Now, to, to really give you an idea of how powerful this is, I read a, a really interesting article in Psychology Today about a study that they did using a, an MRI scanner, Magnetic Resonance Imaging Machine. It's, it's one of those machines where you go into that's just a giant magnet that's able to read out what's happening inside your brain. They're amazing, marvelous things. But here's what the study did. The study put um, different... 
participants into the MRI, did the scan on their brain, and then they would flash for one second a simple word, one simple word, this one. Did everybody see it? Did everybody miss it? That's the word that they flashed in the MRI. Just for that long, one. That's the word that they flashed. (laughs) Dang. That was it. Wow, that just messed up, didn't it? They flashed the word no. And here's what happened. It instantaneously released a flow of hormones and neurotransmitters that caused stress. Just seeing the word no. And then, I'll see if I can do it right this time. They did the same thing, but they just took more negative words like this one, fear. Fail, hate, fool, ugly, fat, stupid. They took those simple words and just flashed them with no other context. They didn't say, you are these things. They simply put those words up there, and they saw that you could directly um, trace the results of what was happening inside the body and inside the brain. Just those words were beginning to form stress and anxiety in those who were in the machine. Now, if that's true, how much more powerful is the impact when those words are spoken directly at you individually? They shape us. Words are incredibly powerful. We need to remember that. In fact, to really understand the reality of every time that we speak, either life or death comes out, let me give you an example of a a painting that could be very, very sobering to you. Um, put the picture up there that should be coming up. Yes. All right, this is a picture of a painting um, from the 1920s, at least it was set in the 1920s. It's a picture of Adolf Hitler, and he's, he's, this is long before he came to power. He was simply one who would engage many followers and listeners, and they were drawn to the words that he said. And um, later on, German artist Hermann Otto Hoyer painted this painting about Adolf Hitler. And he entitled this painting, In the Beginning Was the Word. He quoted from John in the worst possible way you could ever connect that verse to someone else. And it became a reminder of The fact that tens of thousands of millions of people's lives were affected, were damaged, were killed by the influence of one person, but it all began with words. Long before he came into military power, those words were shaping the lives of others towards death and destruction. Well, James understands the power of the word the power of what we say, and he tells us very clearly that our tongue must be controlled. James 3.3 says this way, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. 
Look at the ships also. as Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Your tongue, my tongue, determines the course of your life more than any other part of who you are. Therefore, we need to not say everything we think. It is far better to bite your tongue than to speak your mind. It will get you in trouble most of the time. And James, in using these illustrations, is saying, in essence, you need to choose the course you want your life to take, and the way that you do that is by asking God to take control of your tongue, of what you say. Now, to show you how how significant that is, both on the negative side and on the positive side, there is a connection to what we say and where we are spiritually as well. There's a connection between what we do with our mouth and what happens to our soul. There is a component of our salvation that is connected to what we say. Listen to how um, Paul puts it in Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 11. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See the connection he's making between the heart and our mouth? Our confession that Jesus is Lord is a reflection of a transformation in our heart that says we have been saved. That's why what we're called to do, if we want to trust Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, we need to believe in what he did on the cross, in his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and we need to confess with our mouth that he alone is Lord. That's how we're saved. What we say has a component in the completion of our salvation. We are saved by what Christ did, not by something that we do, but out of our mouths comes the affirmation that salvation has taken place. That's why it's important for us to have a public confession, a public testimony of our faith. And, And one of the ways that that happens most often in our church and many churches is through baptism. Baptism is a time when we confess Jesus is Lord. We say, I identify what what Jesus Christ did, his perfect life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Going down into the water signifies I identify with his death. Coming up out of the water says I identify with the power of his resurrection. And I confess by standing before you here and submitting to baptism that he is Lord. He calls us to do that. That's why we have people, when they're baptized, give their testimony to confess the transformation that's happening in their life because it's a picture of the heart and it speaks powerfully to the lives of others. When we speak honest words of confession that Jesus Christ is Lord, it shows our heart has been changed, that salvation is real, that our faith is alive. So the first step that we need to take if we are to live out our faith is to ask God to control our tongue, to confess that Jesus is Lord, therefore he has the right to control my conversation and yours as well. 
And then we pray using the very verse that um, Ben prayed in his prayer. He said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That needs to be our prayer continually. Lord, let what my heart is dwelling on and what my words say be pleasing to you. I want God to control the course of my life. I want him to control my conversation. Did you know that Jesus did exactly this? He submitted what he said to the will of the Father and the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, he's perfect. He is holy God, and yet he chose to put um, God the Father and the Holy Spirit in control of his conversation. Listen to what it says in John chapter 12. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that this commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Now, if Jesus chose to do that, he did it not because he needed to, because he is fully God, but to show us that's what needs to happen with our conversation, with the words that we say. Jesus is saying, you need to do it. And he gives us a promise later on in Matthew, uh, speaking specifically at those moments where we're wrestling with what are we going to say when we're challenged about our faith. He, sa- he says this, When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you're to speak or what you're to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. That's a promise he gave to the apostles, but it applies to us as well. When we place our life and our tongue in in God's control, he will give us the words that we are to speak, words that build up rather than tear down. So that's the first part. Our words must be controlled. Our tongue must be controlled. Secondly, the tongue must be tamed. The illustration is that on its own, in its natural state, our tongue is is like the wildest creature on the face of the earth. It is unruly in all all its ways. Look at verse 5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. Remember that phrase. A world of unrighteousness. Now, I was thinking about this just in the messages that we hear all the time on the media, what you see on on Facebook, all the debate, all the things that are said, how hurtful and destructive they are towards one another. It's amazing. And it is, when you, when you look at it, it's like there's these little fires everywhere that are just waiting for a, for a wind to burst them into an even greater flame. That's what happens with our words. He says, every, in verse 7, every kind of beast or in bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being, no human being can tame the tongue. Only God can when we give it complete control to him. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. If we're honest, we must admit that for all of us, it's difficult not to sin with our tongues. 
We speak far too quickly, often. But he says the tongue is a fire and therefore it must be tamed, it must be controlled. Maybe another illustration, a more modern illustration would be to think of the tongue in the same way and the words that we say in the same way that we should think about atoms, nuclear power. There are atoms all around us, billions and trillions and whatever word can go past quadrillions of atoms all around us. They're incredibly common. But when you take and harness the power of that atom and you split it, one of two things happens. Either you're able to produce incredible energy for good or incredible destruction. The same's true with our tongue. And if they need the controls around an atom in the process of producing energy, how much more do we need it in our own mouths? So let me give you something really practical. It simply boils down to this. We need to think before we speak. Pretty simple. Um, We need to ultimately take every thought captive and make it submissive to Christ. So I've given you a little acronym here that maybe will will be something you can take with you uh, on the word think. And and here's the process, the the control system that we need to to put it through before we say something. First off, the letter T in think is true. Is what I'm getting ready to say true? Not only is it true, is it all the truth? Or is it only one portion of it that when you leave out something else, it really makes it significantly different? Is it true? Secondly, even if it is true, is it helpful? I've said a lot of true things in my life that were not helpful. They may have been accurate, but they were harmful. In essence, he's asking, we're asking, will it build up? Now, third is the I. H is helpful. I is inspired. And this is ultimately the key. Is this something that I, in my own flesh, in my own selfishness, want to say? Or is this something that's being prompted by the Spirit of God? Is it something that Jesus would say? If not, chances are I shouldn't say it either. And neither should you. The in in think is necessary. Okay? Chances are, if you get too inspired and and you determine that really God would have you say it, then it's okay. But another checkpoint is, is it really necessary? Or am I just saying this to make myself look good? Am I saying this so that my opinion will be heard? Will it really add and build up the body of Christ and the life of another? And finally, the K is, is it kind? Is it something that reflects the loving kindness of God? And if my words cannot pass the think test, then I pray the Lord will keep me from allowing them to come out my mouth and therefore take every thought captive and make it submissive to Jesus Christ. Think before you speak.
Well, those are, the, those, those are controls that we put in place. And, it, and then he gives us a reminder next that the tongue is made for blessing God and others. And he uses the illustration of a fountain producing, can it produce both salt water and fresh? No, because it will all become salty. In the same way, trees are designed for fruit. Our mouths are designed to bless God and bless others. That's what he created them for. And he gives us this instruction in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Here's the ultimate mark in a mature life, a perfect life as James calls it. Such a person lives with meekness. Now, the Greek word used here, it, we've looked at it several times already in this study, but it's the same one that's used in the Beatitudes where Jesus said, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. The course of their life is going to be incredibly fruitful. It's going to be something remarkable because their life is defined by meekness. Now, to the ancient Greeks, meekness meant power under control. It's all the same kind of imagery as the bridle, as the rudder. Um, he's talking about making sure God is the one who controls this. They use this word um, to describe mild words or gentle words, a medicine that would bring relief, a refreshing wind, and a horse that had been tamed. So what it ultimately means is Meekness is my power under God's control. And in this context, meekness is my words under God's control. And then he gives us more warning in verses 14 through 16 of understanding that if we don't do that, our lives are going to produce the works of the enemy. Our words can be demonic. They can be incredibly divisive and destructive. But here's the good news. We're not going to spend the time focusing in on, on that aspect of it. We're going to look, um, to wrap it up today, on the positive. So I want you to jump down to verses 17 and 18. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Here's ultimately where he's pointing us. When your words and my words are under the control of the Holy Spirit, when God takes hold of the reins of my mouth and your mouth, peace happens. Instead of the destruction and the difficulty and the division, he's saying, I want you to speak in such a way that it makes peace, that it transforms the hearts and lives of others. Jesus himself is the great peacemaker. He is the only mediator between God and man. He is also the one who calls us to a work of reconciliation with one another to build peace. And we live in a world that is in desperate, desperate need of peace in relationships, amongst nations, amongst individuals. We need peace. And God designed you and I to be his instruments of peace. 
He wants us to have a harvest of being peacemakers. And here's what Jesus himself said about this. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called what? Do you remember? It's on the, it's on the screen. Sweet. That's good. The answer is on the screen. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called what? The sons of God. And you can add daughters there. It, it fits perfectly well into it. The sons and daughters, daughters of God. Here's what that means. I want you to grab a hold of this. When you and I, under the control of the Holy Spirit, say, God, you direct my conversation. Allow me to be one who builds up and, and makes peace amongst others. God looks at you and I and says, that is my son. That is my daughter because their life, their conversation, their work is reflecting the work of my only begotten son, Jesus Christ. They're mine. That's what he's saying. Now, how cool is that? That God says, when you're using your life and your words to build peace, I'm saying, I am so proud of you. You look just like my son. I don't know about you, but that's what I want to define my life. I want to bring honor to the Lord by being a peacemaker. When we use our words to build peace and to show God's love, God looks at us and says, they're mine. That's my son. That's my daughter. See how they reflect Jesus. In a broken world that hears negative, destructive messages over and over and over again, let us ask the Lord to make us instruments of building up and making peace. That's what he calls us to do. Let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that no matter where we've been, no matter what messages we've have scarred our life. Lord, your word can bring healing and hope and peace. Father, there are people here this morning who their life is, is being controlled and their identity is being defined by the scars of words that have been said to them. Lord, I pray that you would give them the grace and the courage to take those scars and bring them to you and allow your word to bathe them, to cleanse them, to build them up in your truth, to transform them. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that that is part of the ministry of the gospel. You have called us to proclaim the good news that there is a redeemer. There's a mediator between God and man and there is a God who brings reconciliation and who brings peace. Lord, help us as a people to make that be our choice, to follow you, to submit ourselves to your control. 
Lord, take control of our mouths. Take control of our keyboards so that we may speak words that point people to Jesus Christ in whose name we pray, amen. If there's a need in your life, maybe, maybe your life is it's just full of scars, full of hurts, or maybe you're struggling with your tongue. What we want to encourage you to do is, is after this, this song, there will be um, individuals available over here on this side of the, the sanctuary to pray with you, to help you, to come alongside of you, let you know you're not alone. God can bring transformation. He can bring healing. He can bring peace. And we want to encourage you to respond to the Lord and go to Him in prayer. Let's worship.